Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, hone your message, and make an impact on the world. Today's episode is brought to you by the phrase, making change, which is taking creative action to solve a social problem. One definition I found said this, it's more than simply doing good, it's being tenacious about the greater good. My guest for this episode, Cindy Gallup, exemplifies making change. Cindy is the founder and CEO of If We Ran the World, a co-action software launched in beta at TED 2010, which enables brands to implement the business model of the future, shared values plus shared action equals shared profit, both financial and social. Cindy also lives this as the founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn, a pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference platform that is real-world sex in all its glorious, silly, beautiful, messy, reassuring humanness. Cindy is an advertising and marketing legend, the former president and CEO of Bartle Bogle Hegarty Advertising in New York, and was named by Business Insider one of the 15 most important marketing strategy thinkers today, alongside Malcolm Gladwell and Seth Godin. Welcome, Cindy. I am so excited you said yes to being on the podcast. Thank you, Barbara. Thrilled to be here. I want to start by right away asking, when did you learn or come to believe that you could make change? Um, honestly, Barbara, I just never thought about it. Um, all I'm doing is I'm living and working my values. Okay, that's the next thing I want to dive in because I talk about that all the time and the importance of going where you're going to thrive, but also learning that to live inside your values and to be in alignment is everything. And as part of my research for talking to you today, I went back and I listened and was very moved by your TED Talk in Greece about 10 habits to change a country. And there it was right in the beginning was living in alignment with your values will always get you through. Absolutely right. So when did you figure that one out? Oh, um, you know, again, just a gradual realization. Um, And, you know, it's funny, Barbara, because people often ask me, you know, um, questions on the presumption there was some kind of, you know, shining light on the road to Damascus, or whatever. And honestly, by the time you're six to two, you've just had the opportunity over all those years to, you know, realize what matters. And so th- th- there wasn't a single moment. Um, I, I think if anything, I would say that um, working for myself um, has actually really enabled me to you know, um, make sure that what I'm doing is always in accordance with my values. I think that's actually a really great point because I think for many women, and I know you champion women all day long, is that um, one, we often need a permission slip to believe that we can, that we have the choices that we do and to live in in alignment with our values. But I think the same thing happened to me 20 years ago when I started my own business. And you figure that out really fast that it's like, it it doesn't matter that it's I'm working 80, 90, hundred hours in a week to get something started. It's I get to choose how I spend that time. And as I'm choosing how I spend that time, it's like, I used to joke that I just had a, you know, one of those giant red slashes through a conference room. And it was just like, no more wasting my time, you know, meetings, no time, no more time working for, well, this is how articulate I am, yucky people, but I'm still fascinated because I don't know how if I can change the language around this, but I mean, you're a ballsy gal. And so, you know, were you always that gal? Well, you know, um, here's the funny thing, Barbara, um, which is that 
people will use terms of me like ballsy, provocative, outspoken. And none of, none of those are the ways that I think about myself because all I'm doing is I'm just being me. And the fact that people think that is ballsy, outspoken and provocative says a lot more about the world we live in. Than yes, <laughs> yes. But within that, you, you're a very aware person. You, I mean, it's right there on your website and everywhere that you like to blow shit up. And well, so... Well, well, well so, um, so what that particular phrase relates to is... And, and how that came about was <clears throat> many years ago, um, I was in a meeting with some potential consultancy clients, um, you know, talking about what I could do for them. And, you know, they asked me about my approach to consulting. And so I said, well, you know, I, I consult very selectively only for clients and brands who want to change the game in their particular sector. So you come to me for radical, innovative, groundbreaking, transformative. I don't do status quo. And then I lightheartedly off the cuff said, I like to blow shit up. I'm the Michael Bay of business. And they all laughed. And I left the meeting. And I thought, actually, that's a really good way of summing up what I do. So ever since then, you know, that has been my Twitter bio, my LinkedIn bio, you know, how I sum up what I do. But at the same time, you know, the reason um, I use that soundbite is it's not a bit of creativity, a bit of whimsy, a bit of fun. I do that entirely deliberately because I'm a big believer in be your own filter. When I characterize what I do in that way, it attracts to me the people who want what I do and it repels the ones who don't. And I want to repel the ones who don't because they're a waste of time, effort and money. Mm, so much better said than I ever could. That's just like me getting rid of yucky people, but in a much more clumsy way. Yeah. And I do agree with you. And my whole business is based on the idea. It's like, if you can work with someone else, you should probably go work with them. Mm. Because I tend to prefer, I work with people who probably couldn't work with anyone but me because they don't fit in a box. And they need someone who's going to understand that they don't fit in a box and, and let them go do what they do really, really well to go make an impact as opposed to shave off all the interesting bits. So, uh, but I do want to circle back to values because this is one of the things that keeps coming up. And I was so interested in the notion of making change and it is really timely. And I'm not kidding when I said I was so moved by that Ted talk, because obviously what's going on right now and war of aggression in the Ukraine and the idea if we actually step back and change and think about values instead. And you said something so beautiful and then it ties into make love, not porn and your t-shirt and everything you're doing, but the values that we, um, say that we value, we don't necessarily live them, but when we talk about, we, we value things like empathy, generosity, sensitivity, kindness, and honesty. And you said, you know, applying these to our sexuality. And I was blown away by the idea that we have sexuality as a personality, as opposed to a thing, like mind blown. But then it just, if you could, talking a little bit about that, but then also connecting that to our identities collectively as a people. And if we approach that to how, uniform. Am I making any sense about the notion? Because I was thinking about this with nations and where we are right now in the world and what a seismic, potentially planet-saving shift that would be. Well, for the benefit of our listeners, um, I should just explain um, what I do before answering that question. Because, you know, um, I'm the founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn, um, which is the world's first and only 
user-generated, human-curated social sex video sharing platform. And anyone listening who's intrigued by that, um, you can find me talking about this in many places on the internet, so I won't go into all the details here. But I will just say that Make Love Not Porn exists um, to make it easier for everybody to talk about sex. And in order to do that, I designed a platform basically bringing all the principles of social media to bear on this one area of universal human experience no other social platform will allow. So we are effectively what Facebook would be if Facebook allowed you to socially, sexually self-express. We are socializing and normalizing sex in the real world, taking the guilt, shame, and embarrassment out of it in order to promote consent, communication, and good sexual values and behavior. And so um, what Barbara is referencing um, is, is the fact that, you know, um, we are destigmatizing sex and we are bringing comfort with oneself as a sexual being to the world. And that is really important on all sorts of fronts. So this is my vision for a world in which you know, Make Love Not Porn gets funded to scale because the impact would be transformative. I designed Make Love Not Porn around, around my own beliefs and philosophies, one of which is, as you've heard, that everything in life and business, by the way, begins with you and your values. So I regularly ask people this question, what are your sexual values? And nobody can ever answer me because we're not taught to think like that. Our parents bring us up to have good manners, a work ethic, sense of responsibility, accountability. Nobody ever brings us up to behave well in bed, but they should, because in bed, values like empathy, sensitivity, generosity, kindness, honesty, respect are as important as those values are in every other area of our lives where we're actively taught to exercise them. And so my vision for a world in which Make Love Not Porn is funded to achieve our mission at scale is that then parents will bring their children up openly to have good sexual values and good sexual behavior in exactly the same way that parents currently bring kids up to have good values and behavior in every other area of life. We will therefore cease to bring up rapists because the only way that you end rape culture, and by the way, this really is the only way, is by inculcating in society and openly talked about, promoted, operated, and very importantly, aspired to gold standard of what constitutes good sexual values and good sexual behavior. When we do that, we also end Me Too. We end sexual harassment, abuse, violence, all areas where the perpetrators currently rely on the fact that we do not talk about sex to ensure victims will never speak up, never go to authorities, never tell anybody. When we end that, we massively empower women and girls worldwide. When we do that, we create a far happier world for everybody, including men. And when we do that, we are one step closer to world peace. I talk about Make Love Not Porn as my attempt to about world peace, and I'm not joking. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and by the way, for the benefit of our listeners, Make Love Not Porn is a global platform. We have members from 220 countries. So I designed Make Love Not Porn to change the world um, globally. So through the 13 years that I have fought a long, hard battle every single day to keep my startup alive, 
in the face of extraordinary challenges. Um, I'm ready to ask the same question in media interviews. Um, the journalist at some point goes, so Cindy, when do you think all of this will change? You know, I mean, why do you think we are all so incredibly repressed around sex? And I'm asked this question, um, why do you think, you know, there's this huge pressure on sex? So often I now have my answer down pat. Three reasons. So reason number one, centuries of repression, religion, socio-cultural dynamics in every single country in the world. Everything we're talking about is a global issue. Um, number two, the patriarchy. Because historically, every single institution, including government and religion, has been male-dominated. We as women have never been allowed to bring our lens to bear on human sexuality, and the world is a poorer place for it. Um, and reason number three is very simply there aren't enough people like me. Because as I've just said, the world makes it extraordinarily difficult to innovate and disrupt social narratives around sex. Many people have tried and given up, and I don't blame them. We need more people like me who will not give up no matter what. But, you know, um, I go back to point number two, Barbara, in answer to your question, the patriarchy. I was going to go back to my intro, and there you are, tenacious in your believing in making change. Not like I kind of want to make change. It would be nice to make change. It is really deeply your calling, which also then segues and one a little bit is just to the notion of startup, because I did watch a great interview with you, too. We talked about the transition from being a CEO to what it's like to suddenly like, holy crap, now I'm a startup. And then, and that's a whole different level of tenacious to like stick with when you said in the struggle for 13 years to keep something going and to scale. So just for people who are listening, because this very much is around people who work in creative spaces. So I'm always looking for ways to inspire people to keep going. Well, you know, that's very simple, um, Barbara. The thing that most motivates me that keeps me going through all of those obstacles is the dynamic that I characterize as, I'm going to fucking well show you. You tell me it can't be done, I'm going to fucking well show you. You put an obstacle in my path, I'm gonna fucking well show you. I have to take all of that daily demotivation, demoralization, depression, and channel it into inspiration and motivation because that's the only thing to do with it. I'm riveted though that if this is innate in you, for many of us, that takes a lot of coaching and sometimes also therapy on top to get to the place and a huge, you know, bookshelf full of books to get to the place where like, oh, I can do that now too. And I, the idea that it's, it seems like it's, it's just a part of your core is amazing. The other thing it reminded me too is one of my favorite creatives is someone named Little Marvin. Um, who did his own amazing transition and is now creating extraordinary content. But years ago, he said to me, heroes are rarely noted for their cynicism. And I thought about that with you too, because I feel like there is a joy and exuberance to what you do, no matter how hard it is. Um, so I don't know if you could lean into that a little bit, because there's a part of you where I feel like every day is Christmas for you. You're just waking up super excited. Don't know what it's going to bring. Oh I'm gonna my open God, up. I, I, I totally um, don't agree with that. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> Um, um, I've been saying for years that every single situation in life and business can be summed up by a quote from Macbeth. And, and the one that most frequently applies in startup life is each new morn some fresh horror brings. <laughs> but, you know, I think honestly, Barbara, the, the answer to that is simply because in my case, you know, make love not porn was a complete and total accident. I did not set out consciously to, to you know, build this business. And 
you know, as the saying goes, the path appeared, and this is mine. But, you know, um, I, I find it worrying when people say, I want to be an entrepreneur, or I want to have a startup, because it doesn't work like that. You have to have something that you passionately want to bring to the world that you believe only you can create and execute, because it's going to be extraordinarily tough. And the only thing that will keep you going through the dark places is continuing to feel passionate about that. And so at the core of whatever you do when you decide to start your own business is you've got to believe in what you're doing and you've got to feel passionately about it and you've got to absolutely love it. You know, you must know that nobody else can do it the way you can because that's what will keep you going. Well, so could you give a little explanation then for the genesis of what made you decide to launch Make Love Not Porn and to, you know, to put yourself now into this position of of being an entrepreneur and, you know, having a startup and scaling and making this your life's work or part of your life's work? Um, So, as I said, you know, Make Love Not Porn was an accident in the sense that it came about through my direct personal experience. Um, I date younger men. And 14 years ago, I began realizing through dating younger men that when we don't talk openly and honestly about sex in the real world, porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. And it's worth highlighting that, you know, 14 years ago, this was me in isolation going, wow, if I'm encountering this, other people must be as well. I did not know that because 14 years ago, nobody was talking about this. Nobody was writing about it. This is me as a naturally action-oriented person going, I want to do something about this. So 13 years ago, um, as a little side venture, um, I decided to put up on no money a tiny clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that in its original iteration was just words. The construct was porn world versus real world. Here's what happens in the porn world. Here's what really happens in the real world. I had the opportunity to launch Make Love Not Porn at the TED conference in 2009. I became the only TED speaker to say the words, come on my face on the TED stage, six times succession. The talk went viral as a result, and it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny website that I had never anticipated. Thousands of people wrote to me from every single country in the world, young and old, men and females, straight and gay, pouring their hearts out. And I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. And so that was what then made me feel that I now had a personal responsibility. I had to take Make Love Not Porn forwards in a way that would make it much more far-reaching, helpful, and effective. And so that's what led me to turn Make Love Not Porn into the business that I talked about earlier. So circling back, walk us through the actual breaking down steps into the notion of shared values plus shared action equals shared profit. How does this link to making money? Because I believe it does, but not everyone may be. Some people might be like, I don't get it. Right. So, um, so, so what's Barbara? So what, what Barbara's referring to, um, listeners, is I'm a great believer in design your own business model. And the reason I say that is because too many people, um, I observe, take one of two approaches. Either they go, this is our industry business model. This is the only way our industry has ever made money. This is the only way we ever can make money. This is the only one we can operate. Or they think there's a set number of business models out there and I have to operate one of those. Neither is true. 
your business model can be anything you want it to be. Mm, And in fact, a really good starting point for designing your own business model is simply to ask yourself the question, how would I like to make money? Because it's a safe bet you'd like to make it differently from the way you're currently making it. So I am somebody who absolutely lives my own philosophies. You know, I don't stand on stages and pontificate about this to people. I, everything I talk to people about, I'm doing myself. I'm trying, I'm experimenting, failing, trying again. And so I designed my own business model. And this is the one that my startups operate. Because I believe the business model of the future is shared values plus shared action equals shared profit financial profit and social profit. In other words, when brands and businesses come together with their audiences, and by audiences, I mean, you know, consumers, employees, analysts, when you come together with your audiences on the basis of values that you all share, which by the way, is the most important requirement for good relationship in life as much as business, you will never truly bond with someone who don't share the same values. So when you come together around shared values, And when you're then enabled to collectively and collaboratively co-act on those values, to walk the talk together, you can then make things happen in the real world that will benefit consumers, benefit society, and benefit the brand and its business. And, you know, this is actually what my first startup, If We Ran the World, was all about. If We Ran the World was co-action software designed to help businesses implement this business model. And while I had to back burner if we ran the world when Make Love Not Porn blew up, because even I, superhuman as I am, cannot run two startups simultaneously, um, but I designed Make Love Not Porn around that business model. And so Make Love Not Porn operates a revenue sharing model. Our members pay to subscribe, rent and stream social sex videos. Half the income goes to our contributors, whom we call our Make Love Not Porn stars. I can't even tell you how much, you know, I love all this as a philosophy and to feel, I don't know if the word's validated or not, but it kind of is just because to sometimes work in isolation and feeling, you know, alone in my, my silo of values. But um, this is really important and trying to, and sharing with listeners and clients is the notion of, of finding where you can be in alignment and what a difference that makes and that we have the choice for that. The other thing I want to ask about that then becomes another part of this, Cindy, is I love is your idea of collaborative competition and how you define that. I'm a big believer in blue ocean theory and abundance and there's room for everyone. Sure. So um, what Barbara's referencing is um, the business syndrome of what I call collaborative competition, which is when everybody in a sector competes with everyone else in the sector by doing exactly the same thing everyone else in the sector is doing. Um, And we see that all around us every day. And I believe the future instead is what I call competitive collaboration. In other words, when all of us in the sector come together and collaborate in a way that we do not see currently to make things better for all of us on the premise of a rising tide floats all boats, that is what then allows each of us off the top of that wave to then be uniquely competitive, leveraging our own individual skills and talents. Do you have examples where you've seen that working? Um, no, because very few people are doing it. Oh, it's interesting because I had a guest on recently and she gave an example with the business she's been building and another business and they seemed competitive and they joined forces and it helped her their her business scale. For anyone listening, this is... I'm delighted to hear that. Yes, it's the Mary Langle episode. It, and her episode was, is it nice or is it necessary? Which was a, such a great philosophy was she was starting out building her business 
with um, Erica Gorno because again, people get really distracted by the shoulds. But anyway, to your point, they did exactly that and, it, and they still have a relationship with this other business that was bigger in theory, looks competitive. They're still friends and they really helped each other. That's fantastic. I love it. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, well, I'll go find more because I'm a big believer. That's why I wanted to talk about this because I see it, especially sometimes with younger creatives or people starting out, there's this fear of my thing's going to get stolen or this fear of... And and honestly, I believe the more you share an idea, the better it gets. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I agree with you. Um, No, just, I mean... You know, in the startup world, I find it ridiculous when people ask other people to sign NDAs. You know, I am, you know, I've been telling people about Make Love Not Porn from day one before I built it, because the more you share an idea, you know, the more useful input builds on it, etc. And also, you know, honestly, I have I had no problem sharing Make Love Not Porn because I knew that no one could execute it as well as I could. And so, you know, again, an idea is only as good as execution. You know, to, um, nobody should feel overly protective about ideas because it all depends on who's going to execute it first and best. A hundred percent. I have a million and one questions for you. So I'd like, just on the day-to-day and the running of business, do you even work on the notion of like quarterly goals, the sort of mundane realities the rest of us do? Like, this is what I want to get done in 2022. This is how we know we're making progress in the make love, not porn world. Um, to be perfectly frank, um, Barbara, when you... Um, run a sex tech startup. It doesn't work like that. And 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 just to make our audience aware of what I and my team are really dealing with on a daily basis, um, I, I mentioned earlier that you know we fight a battle every day. That's because every single piece of business infrastructure any other tech startup gets to take for granted, we can't because the small print always says no adult content. And that is all pervasive across every single facet of the business in a way that people outside the sphere don't realize. I can't get funded. I can't get banked. It took me four years to find one bank here in America that would allow me to open a business bank account for Make Love Not Porn. Try doing business for four years without a business bank account. I'm not going to tell you how I did it because I did it in ways I shouldn't have, but it made life extraordinarily difficult. Um, Our biggest operational challenge um, day-to-day is payment processing. PayPal won't work with adult content. Stripe, which makes it easy to take credit cards on the internet, can't. Mainstream credit card processors won't. Every single tech service I need to use to operate my video streaming platform, hosting, encoding, encrypting, the terms of service always say no adult content. In every single case, I have to go to the people at the top of the company explain what I'm doing, beg to be allowed to use their service. Sometimes they let me, sometimes they don't. It's a very labor-intensive process, and it means we never get our choice of best-in-class services. We had to build our entire video sharing, video streaming platform from scratch ourselves as proprietary technology, because existing streaming services will not stream adult content. I'm so jealous of friends who built video startups on top of Vimeo. Quick, easy, simple. I can't do that. Even something as apparently simple as finding an email partner to send the membership emails out with MailChimp won't work with adult content. We were rejected by six or seven email, email partners, so we found one SendGrid who would. Um, a couple of years ago, I needed a contract user experience designer. 
I put a perfectly standard job description up on Upwork. 20 Minutes Later, Upwork took it down and told us that we cannot advertise jobs with them because we are make love, not porn. Every single thing is a battle. And so on a day-to-day basis, we're just focused on staying alive. What's the one thing that would help you most? Money. Money solves all of that. Funding investors solve all of that. And so for anyone interested in supporting? <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm about to I'm about to set out to raise a serious round of funding for Make Love Not Porn. And I believe that now is the moment because I have spent the past 13 years parallel pathing two things. Working to build Make Love Not Porn and working to change the cultural context around it. Because when you have a truly world-changing startup, you have to change the world to fit it, not the other way around. And the good news is that I feel 13 years later that many of those barriers are now breaking down. And the interesting thing on the investor front is I know that my investors are out there. They are impossible to find by the usual means because they all have one thing in common. Your willingness to fund Make Love Not Porn is entirely a function of your personal sexual journey. It is a function of your personal lens on sex and sexuality, driven by your own experience, and I have no way to research and target for that. Not least because sex is the one area where you cannot tell from the outside what anybody thinks on the inside. The people who look like they would totally get it, don't. The people who look like total prudes do. And so my strategy of finding investors for the past several years has been basically to put what I'm doing out there all the time across all my social channels. I do every media interview I'm invited to because I have to rely on making those synaptic connections happen that will draw those people to me. And the good news is in the past couple of years, that's been happening more and more. And so I'm really optimistic that now is the time to raise serious funding for Make Love Not Porn. So yes, absolutely. If anybody's listening who would love to invest in what I'm determined to make a billion dollar company, then it's Cindy at MakeLoveNotPorn.com. Fantastic. Let's we're just put that out to the universe and we are master manifestors. <laughs> Excellent. Where else can we find you, Cindy, for everyone who wants to follow? Sure. So um, I'm at Cindy Gallup on Twitter and Instagram, at Make Love Not Porn on both as well. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn and I'm Cindy.Gallup on Facebook and our Facebook page is MLNPTV. Fantastic. Thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, Barbara. Thanks for the great conversation. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. Please visit ableintermedia.com and download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, please be sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Mm-hmm.